Well, I'm glad there's somebody out there that cares, aren't you? By the time you think, don't nobody care, that's when the Lord shows up, and He always cares. Amen? How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And let me ask you now, I may have to help you on this one. Let me ask you to join me back in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 8 this morning. That's page number 701 if you have an old Schofield Bible, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Now, if you don't have one of those old Schofield Bibles, if you'll shut your Bible and open it in the middle, you probably should be somewhere close to the book of Psalms. And if you're in the neighborhood of Psalms, guess what? You're in the suburbs of Ecclesiastes. It's just right there near the book of Psalms. We're in chapter 8, 701, the old Schofield Bible. Can you believe this? We are on time to get out. Well, I'm right on schedule to get out at record-breaking time this morning. Wouldn't that be a sight to get out of here by 11 o'clock. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? You don't think you're going to do that, do you? No, sir, not with our preacher. We're not getting out of here by 11, but you never know. You never know, all right? So I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll come back this afternoon at 5.30 and to be a part of our service tonight, 5.05 for prayer room. And then don't forget, after service tonight, our new members social right after church tonight, they have some of the best food. Can I tell you this? It'd be worth you joining the church this morning just to come over here and have supper tonight. It really would. It would be a blessing. It, you, 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 it would be amazing. K&W's got nothing on this crowd around here. I'm telling you, and they don't holler at you neither here. And uh, so uh, if you'd like to hang around uh, tonight after church for a meal, got to join this morning. And it'd be worth you joining just for the meal tonight, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way if you will. You know, as a pastor... As a preacher, one of the most unpleasant parts of my duties as a preacher is having to do, having to officiate funerals. I don't like funerals. I had a funeral this week. In fact, it was earlier this week. I told my wife, I said, well, I got my funeral over for this week. But it seems like almost every week of my life, I have a funeral. And the truth of the matter is, that is one of the most unpleasant parts of my duties as a pastor. I've not kept count over the years. Sometimes I, I wish I had done that, but I don't think I'm exaggerating one bit. I'm not embellishing, and I'm not lying when I tell you that in all of my years as preaching, I have probably conducted well over a thousand funerals. And I don't like funerals. I don't like funerals because of the tears that they produce. I don't like funerals because of the hurt that they cause people, the separation that they bring. And I, I really don't think there ever has or ever will be a preacher who enjoys funerals. Yet you and I know that, that dying is a part of living. Dying is a part of living. In fact, we know that dying is the result of living. If we'd never lived, then we never would have to die. According to the website, ecology.com, more than 200,000 people die daily somewhere around the world. Now, what that calculates to be, that's around 10,000 funerals per hour, 10,000 deaths per hour, or 180 people per minute that die, or three people per second who die. When I looked on that website this week, I found out that just this year alone, there have already been more than 40 million people who have died around the world. Now, I know you're probably sitting there this morning and say, Preacher, boy, that's gloom and doom. 
And let me just tell you this. I hate to be so morbid on a Sunday morning, but let's face it, death is a reality. I read just this week, I read this story this week, out in, in the country was this old white church, and right beside this white church was a cemetery, had a fence around it, and inside the fence of the cemetery, there was a walnut tree. Well, these boys had got together one day, and they had picked up a whole five-gallon bucket load of walnuts. And they sat down by a tombstone that you couldn't see from the road, and they started dividing up these walnuts. One for you, one for me, two for you, and two for me. Well, uh, about this time, a boy come riding down a dirt road by the church there, and he slowed down as he passed the cemetery, and he, and he heard voices. So he stopped, and he heard, one for you, one for me, two for you, and two for me. Well, sure enough, I mean, he heard that, but he didn't see anybody, so he got it in his mind. It was the devil and the Lord in the cemetery dividing up souls. So he took off on his bike, pedaling as fast as he could toward town when he met an old man who was hobbling on a cane. And he said, Sir, sir, you've got to come quick, come quick. Down at the cemetery, the devil and the Lord are dividing up souls. The man said, Son, can't you see that it's hard for me to walk? I'm not coming down to some cemetery to hear some figment of your imagination. The boy said, No, sir, no, sir, you have got to come. So he finally convinced the man and he hobbled down to the cemetery. Well, when he got down there, sure enough, didn't see anybody, but he heard this, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And the, the old man said on his cane, he said, boy, sure enough, you wouldn't tell the lie, was you? The devil and the Lord is in the cemetery dividing up souls. He said, son, he said, let's look around this tree and see if we can see the Lord. Well, they looked around the tree and they still didn't hear it, uh, see anything, but then they heard these words. All right, one more for you and one more for me. Now let's go get those two nuts standing down there by the tree and we'll be done with the whole process. And it is said, it is said that the old man on his cane beat the boy on his bike back to town. Now, can I tell you something this morning? Death is a reality. That's right. And what I want to do this morning is I want to read to you a funeral that happened in the Bible. All right? So this whole text that I want to read to you is a funeral. There is a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He is king of the nation of Israel, and on occasion he went to a funeral service. And what he saw at that funeral so moved him that he went home and he wrote about everything that he saw while at that funeral. So join me now in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse number 10, and here's what he saw at the funeral that day. Solomon said, verse 10, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. Solomon said, I went to this funeral. There's this man that I knew. And he said, I saw him buried. And I knew something about that man. He had come and gone from the place of the holy. Then he goes on to say this. And the Bible said... And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked." 
neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Now Solomon said, I went to the funeral. I saw this man that I knew well, and I saw him buried, and he'd been forgotten. Solomon said he'd just been forgotten. But here's the thing that gripped my heart. Solomon said that man had come and gone from the place of the holy. So this morning, I want to preach on this subject right here. I want to preach on the subject of from God's house to God's hell. From God's house to God's hell. How sad indeed it is, friend, to know that many people will go from God's house to God's hell. Now, I've got to stop this morning briefly and just kind of lay the groundwork, the foundation for this message this morning. There are three things all of us in this room need to remember. Number one, tuck this away in your memory. Don't ever forget, God created hell. God created hell. Sometime prior to Genesis chapter 3, we know that there was a rebellion in heaven. A war took place in heaven. There was a mighty angel in heaven, an angel that God himself had created whose name was Lucifer. And Lucifer was, got full of pride. He got to the place he thought he was smarter than God. He was more wiser than God. He was more beautiful than God. He was more and greater light than God. And so Lucifer got in his mind. He was going to dethrone God. But he didn't go about this himself. He also gathered a host of the angels to go with him in his rebellion against God. I don't know how many angels went with uh, Lucifer in his rebellion. All we're told in the Bible is that there was a war that broke out in heaven. You know one of the last places you'd ever think there'd be a war would be in heaven. But Lucifer gathered his, his angelic forces together to go up against God and the forces of God with the whole purpose of dethroning God and setting himself up to be God. Well, let me tell you something. That war didn't last long. Because our God may have a, whole lot of, uh, have a whole lot of enemies, but he has no rivals whatsoever. Nobody can rival the power that our God has. So Satan, Lucifer, that rebellion was put down, and the Bible said that Lucifer and all those angels that rebelled against God were dismissed from the presence of God. And shortly thereafter, God created a place to one day punish all of those angels, including Lucifer himself, for that rebellion. And we know that place as hell. Now here's what the Bible says about hell. The Bible said in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he also say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Would you say those two words with me? Everlasting fire fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we know that God created a place by, by the name of hell. By the way, can I say this? God created hell. Can I tell you something? It's not the devil's hell. It's not the angel's hell. It's not man's hell. Can I tell you this? It's God's hell. And the whole reason that God created hell was to put down, to punish those angels along with Lucifer that rebelled against him. So number one, tuck this away in your memory now. God created hell. 
I heard old Vance Havner was an old preacher of bygone years. Somebody come up to old Vance Havner one time and said, uh, Preacher, why do you preach so much about hell? Why don't you preach on the meek and lowly Jesus? And Vance Havner said, Where do you think I got my information about hell? You see, God created hell. But he didn't create it for mankind. He created it for Lucifer, the devil, and his angels. Number one, God created hell. Then number two, put this away in your memory, that's this, God created heaven. God not only created hell, God created heaven. And heaven is a real place. Sometimes in the Bible it's referred to as a city. Sometimes it's referred to as a country. Other times it's referred to as a kingdom. But somewhere, way up there, there is a place called heaven. And oh, what a wonderful place it is. Can I read you a verse about heaven? Here's what the Bible said, As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You know what that verse tells me? That, that verse tells me that we can't even think about how wonderful, how wonderful heaven really is. All I can tell you about heaven is this. It's a place of no sickness, no sorrow, no sighing, no separation, no struggle, no sin, no sunset, no storm, no secrets, and no spat. Heaven is a wonderful, wonderful place. And let me tell you something about heaven. God created heaven before he created hell. That is exactly right. The Bible said back in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, I mean before there was anything else, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. Can I tell you something? Long before God created the place called hell, God had already created a place called heaven. So number one, God created hell. Number two, listen now, God created heaven. But then number three, think about this. As sure as there is a heaven above us and a hell beneath us, there is a house between. What I mean by that is, sure there's a heaven... And sure, there is a hell, but there is a house that God created here upon this earth for people to be able to come to hear the wonderful truth about heaven and the awful truth about hell. And there in that house, they have the chance, the opportunity to be invited by God himself to miss hell and to go to heaven. Now, the house that I'm referring to is the church. Aren't you glad that between heaven above us and hell beneath us, God created a, a, a house on this earth? And, and it, it is in this house that God intended for people just like you and just like me to be able to come to hear somebody stand up and explain to us from the Bible that God created heaven for us, God never created a hell for us, and it's God's plan and God's will for everybody to go to heaven when they die. Now, the Bible said, if you'll look in our text in verse number 10, Solomon said the one thing about this man, he attended his funeral, and he said he was a wicked man, but I had watched that man. And for years he had come and gone from the place of the holy. In other words, Solomon said he had come and gone from the house. I mean, he had been in the presence of God. He had heard the Word of God. No doubt he had felt conviction and felt drawn by God, and yet the Bible said he left God's house, and he died, and he went to God's hell. 
And listen, let me just say this. I, my greatest fear is that there is somebody right here in God's house today that may walk out these doors this morning and die and go to God's hell. Now, understand that if you do that, you're going against the will of God. That's not God's plan for your life whatsoever. In fact, the Bible said that God is not willing, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that any perish, but that all come to repentance. There's another verse, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that says this, God will have all men. You say, who's all? That's all. All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Understand this. If you walk out this building unsaved, not prepared, unprepared to meet God, you're walking out these doors against the will of God for your life. You're going to walk over the will of God. You're going to walk over the prayers of God's people. You're going to walk over the work that Jesus did on Calvary to die in our place to pay the price so we wouldn't have to die and be eternally separated from God forever. You're going to have to walk over that if you walk out these doors unprepared to meet God. So stay with me now. I want you to look at this text this morning. Let's talk about this funeral for just a minute. All right? Let's talk about this funeral together. First of all, I want you to look now. Join me. Look back up in verse number 8. And let's, number one, let's talk about this. The meeting. The meeting for man. The meeting for man. Now look back up at verse number 8. The Bible said this, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. What does that verse tell us? That, that verse is simply telling us this, We have an appointment someday with death. And the Bible said concerning the war. By the way, do you know we fight a war with death? We really do. I don't know about you, but I do stuff every day of my life to try to keep away death. In the morning, Lord willing, in the morning. If I'm not lazy, in the morning, around 5.30, I'll have to get up out of bed. I'll, I'll go downstairs at our house, and the reason I'm running inside instead of outside is because my treadmill's got a fan on it right now. Because it is hot. But in the morning, I'll get up and I'll do four or five miles on a treadmill. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to keep away death, man. I really am. I'll go right upstairs after I get off the treadmill and I've got to take my blood pressure medicine. <laughs> you know why? Because I pastor a Baptist church. I'll take my blood pressure medicine in the morning. And I'll take an aspirin along with that blood pressure. You know why? I'm trying to keep away death. I'm trying to eat better right now. I know you can't tell it. I love grease. Man, I'm telling you i got to have grease to live, and I'm trying to eat better right now. I really am. I've switched over to apples and peanut butter crackers a whole lot right now. But I'll tell you something, friend. Listen, when it comes time for me to die, I'll not get out of that war alive. The Bible said, if you look there at verse number 8, there's no discharge in that war. Many of you men remember back in the days when our country had the draft. Maybe you went to the draft board and then you, uh, you enlisted in the army or whatever and then you went through all the tests and the physicals and then they classified you as, is it 4F or F4 because you had some physical uh, uh, disqualification that disqualified you from having to join military services. I don't know what that may have been, but maybe you were, you were deemed 4F or F4 and you were dismissed from military service. You were disqualified. You were let go. But I want to tell you something, friend, in the battle that you and I face, nobody's going to be let go. The Bible said in verse number 8, there is no man that hath power in the day of his death to resist it. That's right. There is a meeting 
for man. Now, I've got to tell you something. There's two things about death that bothers me. Really, first of all, is the certainty of it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that bothers me. You know, human beings are the only living organisms in the universe that know that they're going to die. Animals don't know they're going to die. Plants don't know that they're going to die. No, sir, human beings are the only people who know death is inevitable. Yet we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to come to church to hear the preacher preach about it. But I'm telling you, it's hard to get people to slow down, to think, hey, are you prepared to die? A lot of people just don't even like to acknowledge it altogether. I heard about this one preacher. He was up preaching one day in a revival meeting, and he was preaching about death and how short life is. And, buddy, he just looked at the whole church, and he said, every member of this church is going to die someday. And he, and he called a man sitting on the front row, and when he said that, he just smiled. Well, the preacher said, he, didn't, he, he misunderstood me. So he backed up a little bit more emphatically, and he said, every member of this church is going to die someday. And the guy just leaned back and smiled at him. He said, he, he, he ain't getting this. So the next time he said it, he beat on the pulpit, and he said, every member of this church is going to die someday. And the guy went, ugh. And well, this bothered the preacher. So after church, he was at the back door shaking hands, and, and the guy passed through the line, and he said, Sir, he said, you've got to clarify something for me. It bothered me. I kept saying to every member of this church is going to die, and the more I said it, the bigger you smiled. He said, I don't get it. He said, Preacher, what you don't know is I ain't a member of this church. <laughs> now, can I tell you something, friend? There are only two types of people in this room that's going to die, people who are members of Woodland, and people who are not members of Woodland. Everybody else in this building may get out of this earth alive, but if you're a member of this church or you're not a member of this church, someday you are going to die. Well, I'll tell you the certainty of it. The certainty of death bothers me. But then number two, the uncertainty of death. I don't know about it. It just bothers me. You see, I know I'm going to die. I just don't know when. I don't know where. And I don't know how. That bothers me. I went on a website this week. You can check it out yourself. It's called www.deathclock.com. So you go on this website. They'll ask you just four or five questions right up front. You hit the submit button, and they'll calculate the day you're going to die. Talk about cheering yourself up, man. Do that. You ever having a bad day? Look up your death date. And that crazy thing said that my death date is going to be September the 29th, 2036. Well, that bothered me so much, I got to thinking, all right, what day of the week is September the 29th, 2000? And it's on a Monday. I can't die on a Monday. Ain't nobody got time for that on Monday. <laughs> September the 29th, 2036. Now, I did this on Thursday. But back on Thursday, when I submitted that, it told me on the website I only had five... 138,484,427 more seconds to live on this earth. Now, if that's true, if I'm going to die on September 29, 2036, I've only got 17 more Christmases for you to buy me a present. I've only got 17 more birthdays to eat cake and ice cream, and I'm going to die at the tender young age of 74 years old. So I went back in and I started lying on some of them questions. 
I stretched it on out to 2052. <laughs> but you know something, friend? We all are going to die. 74, are you kidding me? No. Nuh-uh. No way, Jose. Kawasaki Yamahaga. No, no. No, sir. Not at the age of 74. But can I tell you something, friend? It'll get me. I may not even make it to 74. Listen, death's coming. The book of Jeremiah said death's like a peeping tom. It comes upstairs in the windows at us. Every time you and I, every morning, we open the blinds after a night's sleep. We open those blinds, peer out the window. Don't you forget, somebody's peering in. It's called death. He's come up into your windows. He's looking in at you. He's waiting for the moment that God gives him permission to seize life from your body. There's a meeting for man. We're going to have to die, and there's no discharge in that war. There's a meeting for man. Number two, look again at this text. Not only is there a meeting for man, but there's a mistake in man. Now, what is the mistake in man? Well, as Solomon continues to write about this funeral that he went to in verse number 10, he talks about this old boy, and he's come and gone from the place of the holy, and then he said he was a wicked man. Did you see that? I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone. So here's an old boy. Now look at this now. Here's an old boy who makes it a habit to go to church. He goes to the place of the holy, but it doesn't change the way that he's living. He continues on in his wickedness. And then he dropped, if you'll drop down in verse number 11, what he says is, here's the problem, the mistake the man was making, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. The Bible goes on to say in verse 12, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged. You know what that tells me? This old boy had it all wrong because he's thinking to himself, You know, I'm living the way that I want to live. I'm committing all this wickedness, and nothing's happened to me. And what he's doing is he's mistaking God's patience for God's indifference. He's mistaking the fact... That, that God is being patient with him. God is allowing him to live. And, and, he, and he's mistaking the patience of God as God's just totally indifferent to everything that's going on in his life. In other words, here's what he thought. I'm getting by with it. Evidently, the Lord don't care. But can I tell you something, friend? That is not the case. You know, our nation's a lot like that today. Our nation thinks today that we can flaunt our sin and our rebellion and our outright disobedience to the Word of God in the face of God and then go into, that we can go to bed and believe that either God's okay with that or else He don't even care anymore. You know I'm telling you the truth. Our nation has voted to approve of what God disapproves. We have voted to, to a, uh, we have voted lawful what God says is unlawful. And just because judgment doesn't fall on us right away, we think, well, man, God's changed his mind about all that. Or else, that old preacher, he's outdated. He's a dinosaur. He's prehistoric. And he needs to get with the time, buddy, and just realize God has changed. Friend, not on your life. This book still be true, and it is. God still says there are some things that are wrong. There's some things that are right. There's some ways to live. There's some ways to not live. There's some places to go. There's some places not to go. I'm here to tell you this morning, God is patient. But don't you ever, don't you ever mistake God's patience for God's indifference to it all. 
Just because you may have gotten by, what you need to understand, what you ought to do is climb up here to this altar this morning and say, oh God, you've let me by. You've been patient. And God, I don't want to mistake your patience for indifference. I know you're against this. I know it's wrong. And oh God, I cast myself on your mercy. Friend, you're not getting by with a thing. And I'm not getting by with a thing. Look at verse 13. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow. Don't you ever, don't you ever mistake God's patience for God's indifference. Listen, hear me and hear me well. You can come to church every Sunday. I, you know what? I think this is a holy place. You can be just like this old boy that Solomon talked about there, coming and going from the place of the holy. So you walk in here, Sunday after Sunday, you drag in here, maybe even carry your Bible in here. And yet when you leave here, you're going to go back to your wicked way of life, your wicked way of doing things. And you can come and go from the place of the holy and God just in patience waiting with bitter tears coursing down his cheeks saying, oh, please turn your life around. What is it she's saying a minute ago about people thinking that they're getting by when in reality they're just going deeper and deeper and farther and farther away from God and you can just go about it and say, man, man, God don't care. He's letting me by with it. Friend, understand there is a difference between God's patience and God's indifference. You may be getting by. At least that's what you're thinking. But really what you're doing is you're treading on the thin ice of God's patience and at any moment you may fall through and face the judgment of God. Amen. Don't you mistake it. You say, well, I'm getting by with it, preacher. Well, you may have this far, but I'm telling you the only reason you've got by with it this far is because we serve a patient God. Amen. Amen. You need to repent and turn back to God, friend, and get right with God this morning. So there's the, watch this, there's the meeting for man, death. There's the mistake in man. Oh, I'm getting by with it. It's okay. Don't worry about me. Preacher, you need to get over this stuff. Man, you're, you're a John Boy Walton. This is a Donald Trump age. You've got to get over that, preacher. They're, they're just, God's changed his mind about some stuff. No, sir, friend. I'm not the one that needs to get over it. Come here. You better get over it. Amen. Because there's a meeting for man. There's a mistake in man. And then number three, watch this. There's the misery of man. Now, I don't know, but I want you to look at verse 13. I don't know all that's implied in the opening statement of verse 13. But I know one thing. I don't like the sound of it. Because God said this. That old boy that thinks he's getting by with it. That old boy that thinks that God's changed his mind about it. That old boy that thinks God is just saying, it's okay what you're doing. God said, I tell you, Solomon said, I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to be well with that person. It is not going to be well with that person. So here he is. Watch this. So he's come and he's gone. He comes and goes from the place of the holy. He hears the word of God, but it didn't change his life. He hears what the Bible said, but he goes right back out and gets right back in his wickedness on Monday. You know what? Here's the problem with a lot of people. They want to go out all week long and sow their wild oats. And then they want to come to church on Sunday and pray for crop failure. That's exactly right. I'll go out and I'll do what I want to do Monday through Saturday. I'll live in my sin. 
I'll roll in my filth. I'll do this. I'll shack up with my sweetie. I'll drink my liquor. I'll smoke, snort, snort my grass and my meth. I'll smoke my grass. I'll do whatever I want to do. And then you want to come in here to church on Sunday and say, Oh, God, please, Lord, please don't let them seeds come up. Wicked. Coming and going from the place of the holy. Over and over and over again, I'm getting by. It's okay. But God said, it shall not be well with that person. That's what the Bible said. It shall not. I, I can see it. I can see it. Can't you see if that funeral that day, Solomon's went, he's took his seat. Some preacher stands up and starts saying all these sweet, kind things about this old boy, starts eulogizing this old boy, and with great fanfare and great pomp and great circumstance, they've got horse-drawn buggies and mourners lined the street, and I mean, man, the fanciest, finest funeral that money can buy, and out there, they bury him on a hillside overlooking a pond with northern Canadian geese in it. I want to run over them things so bad, sometimes I can taste it. Make a mess around here. And man, ain't that, oh man, look at that. Wouldn't that something, but only if we could see what's going on on the other side of that grave. It shall not be well with the wicked. I don't know what you're involved in today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want to tell you, I want you to hear this preacher and hear me well. You can leave here. You don't ever have to come back again. You, you, you can flaunt it, you can thumb your nose in my face, walk out of here and say, I don't care what he has to say, but I want you to hear one thing. It shall not be well with the wicked. It shall not be well with the wicked. Say it with me. It shall not be well with the wicked. Not going to get by with it, friend. Not going to get by with it. But look at the end of verse 13. It says this, but uh, because he fears not before God. Verse 12, the verse, look at the end of verse 12, but I know that it should be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Well, I want to be in that fearing God crowd and not in that wicked crowd that can just prance in. Everybody, oh, isn't he a wonderful man? Look at him bringing his Bible to church. Oh, isn't he something? Oh, I tell you, he must really love Jesus. And then go out here meaner than hell all week long and want to come in here and parade around like you're somebody? Coming and going from the place of the holy. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to leave God's house, and you're going to die and go to God's hell because you won't come to God's Son, the Lord Jesus, as your Savior. It's going to happen. It's going to come out someday. It's going to come out someday, what's going on. It's going to happen. I heard about this old girl. Her name was Lucy. And Lucy loved a boy by the name of Willie. I mean, she was head over heels in love with Willie. And Willie loved to fish. Y'all like to fish? I mean, he loved to fish. Well, Lucy didn't know anything about fishing, but she made out like she did just so she could go out on a date with Willie. Well, when old Willie found out Lucy said she loved fishing, she'd been fishing all of her life, man, he kind of was attracted to her then. So that day they went out and got in a boat, you know, and they sat down and they dropped their line in the water and she didn't know anything about it. I mean, she just told him all that, just trying to be near to him. And I mean, she was having a great day. But all of a sudden, she looked over at Willie. And she said, uh, Willie? She said, what's that little red and white thing, thingy that you put on the, my fishing line? He said, that's called a, a, a bopper. She said, how much does one of them things cost? 
And he said, uh, about 50 cents. She said, okay. She said, I'm going to have to buy you a new one. She said, mine just sunk. <laughs> hey, it came out on her. She didn't know what she was doing. And can I tell you something? It'll come out someday. It shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall God prolong his days, which are as a shadow. I'm telling you, friend, there's somebody here this morning that God is saying, please don't leave my house and go to my hell when I've prepared for you my heaven. Hey, why don't you this morning, why don't you this morning come to Jesus and be saved? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed.